Hello, wonderful people, and welcome to Sidecar Stories. It's Thursday, so we're reading Harry Potter. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope everyone's week is going well. Um, how's everybody doing? What's everyone's life like this week? Um, now, for those of you who don't know, I'm also casting it a Discord, and uh, currently there is a... There's some drama. It appears there is some some. There's a a soup cat. There's a a bandit soup cat brigand on the loose. Uh oh. Ash has uh inherited the death cold from her husband. Her yeah. Something about that. The the grammar didn't make sense to me. I hope everyone's having a lovely Thursday. Um, we are reading chapters. Uh. 17 and 18 tonight of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, I'm going to go through and do my review as usual. I'm going to get started into that now, and then I'm going to bounce back to chat for a little bit. I'm going to get the review done muy pronto. So, chapter 15, Hogwarts High Inquisitor. Um, uh, there is there's an article in the newspaper, uh, Ministry Seeks Educational Reform, Dolores Umbridge Appointed First Ever High Inquisitor. Now, what the heck does that mean? General, keeping an eye on the uh, on 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 the language. Well done. Mostly, uh, I appreciate it. Um, first ever High Inquisitor. Now, what does that mean? It means that the Ministry of Magic is is mucking about in uh, in the affairs of Hogwarts and its students. It means the the, uh, the the Ministry of Magic has decided that they no longer trust Dumbledore. Now, why would this be? Whoa, hello, chat. Just jumped up in the uh, the video there. I don't even know what causes that. Um, Laura Miller, Joseph, uh, Mariah, Debbie in the YouTube chat. How you doing? Um, they don't trust Dumbledore because Dumbledore has made it pretty clear that he believes Harry Potter. He believes that Lord Voldemort is back. Um, and the Ministry of Magic doesn't want this uh, to be... Uh, they, they don't want to believe it, and thereby they don't want other people to believe it either. Uh, and they think that this might be just an attempt by Dumbledore to try and overthrow uh, the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge. We, of course, know this is preposterous. But we have a bit of an advantage because we were there, I guess. We were spectating as uh, Harry did, in fact, meet Lord Voldemort back from the grave. You'll have to forgive me. That's the last of the ice noises. Just finishing up a uh, half a glass of chai tea. And now... Um, Everyone, especially video, is going to have to forgive me because I am currently drinking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm currently drinking water out of an empty tequila bottle, so I am not just going going hog wild on the uh, on the stream today. I'm hydrating. So, um, the ministry is meddling in school affairs. Hermione seems to be kind of the most concerned about this because she is one of the ones who's following this situation most closely. She seems to understand sort of what all the implications are. 
let's see. They discuss OWLs. Um, Harry got a, let's see, a D, which stands for dreadful. But the grading system is a little odd. Let's see if I can track it really quickly. Uh, o is, oh boy. O is outstanding. Then E for exceeds expectations. Then A for acceptable. P for poor. D for dreadful. And then T for troll. <laughs> Breezy, how's it going? So, Harry got a D for dreadful. Just one above troll. But of course, this is in potions, and we know how... We know how that interaction goes with Snape. Let's see. Um, they still have uh, inspected lessons. They've got Umbridge going around to their different classes. Uh... Uh, inspecting mostly the teachers, it seems like at this point, and it seems like the ones who are either not totally aligned with ministry teaching, for instance, Professor Trelawney, or uh, ones who are directly <laughs> ones who are directly um, uh, I'll say aligned with Dumbledore's beliefs. Um, she is particularly critical toward those. <laughs> Chat is saying, bless you, Cass. She can't hear anymore. She's I th she's got her earbuds in. She's probably watching some Jenna Marbles videos. She's loving on those things. And I got to admit, Jenna Marbles has grown on me since uh, she started watching them. <laughs> General, I think I could have guessed that you love Jenna Marbles. I think I could have I predicted that. Um, yeah, I'm being a basic boy. I'm... I'm Nate says, I'm a basic boy because I'm drinking chai tea, but it's a half glass. Can you guess where the first half went? And when she didn't finish it, why I would finish it off. Harry once again gets a reprimand from Professor McGonagall because of his detention issues. Um, he can't be calling so much attention to himself. Um, this is, this is uh, McGonagall, McGonagall's opinions. He can't be calling so much attention to himself from uh, Umbridge because their work, the work that the Order is doing, is is too important to compromise. What else? Uh, Trelawney gets inspected by Umbridge. So does McGonagall. That goes about as well as you could expect. Um, Trelawney gets really flustered because um, Umbridge is needlessly cruel toward her in the inspection and disruptive, and then Umbridge tries some similar disruption tactic tactics in, um, McGonagall's class, and McGonagall shuts that right down. Right down. Debbie, hello, welcome to Discord. I hope you, I hope it's comfortable for you here. Uh, additionally, Harry, uh, Harry is, you know, his hand is burning from one of his detentions with Umbridge, and Hermione and Ron sit him down and and suggest something to him. They suggest that he teach them defense against the dark arts, and maybe not just them, but also some other students. It's important for not just their not just their grades, but also for their their readiness to face the outside world and what they know to be true, that Dumbledore is in fact back. Dumbledore. <laughs> that Voldemort is in fact back. Um 
Now, they they argue about this for a little while because Harry is not in favor of the idea. And in fact, uh, he claims that a lot of it was luck and actually gets pretty angry with them toward the end. We've we've seen some of the, the rage that Harry feels sometimes. Um, but uh, he, he gets very angry because it seems they don't fully understand that a lot of it was luck, that there's there's so much pressure to dealing with with uh, actual dark arts, not just studying it, studying it in books, not just um, learning the theory of it, but actually encountering it. It's much more intense and and um, uh, haphazard than you could ever learn in a classroom. And Hermione says, Hermione and Ron both say that's exactly why he's the perfect person to teach them because he's faced this. So he agrees to at least meet with some people about the idea. You know, just Ron, Hermione, and like a couple of others. Turns out a bunch of people go down to this secret meeting at the Hogshead Tavern. Um, it's it's a, kind of a, a dive bar, as it were. That's what we call it in the U.S. Um, by the way, UKers, what, what is it, uh, what would you call like, there's like the, the, I just learned about like what a Weatherspoons is. Um, not that, but there are there are the 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 uh, you know the taverns and the pubs that are sort of reputable, and then the ones that are like they're grungier and dirtier, and you know maybe some some of a more rough and tumble crowd, and uh, you know the prices are probably pretty cheap, and maybe you can get some like like around here in the U.S. a dive bar can be a great spot to get uh, a burger. Some of the the real tasty ones come from dive bars. Uh, so I don't know if there's any sort of, uh, I don't know if there's any uh, equivalent to that where y'all are from. Linz, welcome back. Haven't seen you in a minute. 115. Hi, Sam. Way back in the Goblet of Fire trying to catch up. Have a nice stream. Thank you very much. And Oka Kasur, hi. Welcome to the live stream. Starlight, you too got a nice number of new people hello hello and welcome ash is that uh is that gift from crazy stupid love i love crazy stupid love i would say probably one of my top five favorite movies um i think that's most of the uh <laughs> that's most of the the wrap-up um it seems that the people who come to this secret meeting um to hear Harry out. Uh, it seems like some of them might be just interested in hearing this gritty story from Harry. Some of them might be actually interested in learning. Um, but after their discussion, it seems like most of them are pretty much on board with the idea. Uh, that super quick wrap up did not end up being super quick. That's okay. It happens. Yeah. General, which, which, oh, GIF, because that, that is, I mean, that is what it is. It is GIF. <laughs> I'm not getting into it. I'm not getting into it with y'all. Uh, one thing that I do want to get into, and I'm going to post some uh, some links here really quick. Um, one of our chapters today is called Dumbledore's Army. And as a, as a tribute to this, I'm, I'm posting some, some links in both chats. This is a live thread to what is going on right now in Hong Kong. And I think if there if there ever was a 
if there ever was an equivalent, um, a, a an equivalent today in the real world of Dumbledore's army, I think we're seeing it right now in Hong Kong. So um, those are the live threads, and I am also going to be posting um, in less than a less than thirty seconds uh, a link to the uh, Amnesty International uh, page covering this. Uh, if you are interested in getting involved, which you very well should, it does not take long, and uh, I, uh, I think it's important. There, there are some, th there, there are lots of times in the world where there is just not much that we can do from far away. But I think it's important to, uh, to do what we can. So, there's that. The modern day Dumbledore's army. Jump in there. Jump in there. And uh, that live Reddit thread helps to kind of keep track of what's going on day to day. So, now, I think, uh, let's jump into the stream, shall we? Let's jump into the chapter. It's about 20 minutes after. Lydia, hi. How's it going? Excuse me. Chapter 17. Educational Decree Number 24. Harry felt happier for the rest of the weekend than he had done all term. He and Ron spent much of Sunday catching up with all their homework again, and although this could hardly be called fun, the last burst of autumn sunshine persisted. So, rather than sitting hunched over tables in the common room, they took their work outside, and lounged in the shade of a large beech tree on the edge of the lake. Hermione, who of course was up to date with all of her homework, brought more wool outside with her and bewitched her knitting needles so that they flashed and clicked in midair beside her, producing more hats and scarves. Knowing they were doing something to resist Umbridge and the Ministry, and that he was a key part of the rebellion, gave Harry a feeling of immense satisfaction. He kept reliving Saturday's meeting in his mind, all of those people coming to him to learn defense against the dark arts and the looks on their faces as they heard some of the things that he had done. And Cho, praising his performance in the Triwizard Tournament, the, knowle the knowledge that all of those people did not think him a lying weirdo but someone to be admired, it buoyed him up so much that he was still cheerful on Monday morning, despite the imminent prospect of all of his least favorite classes. He and Ron headed downstairs from their dormitory, Discussing, discussing Angelina's idea that they were to work on a new move called the Sloth Grip Roll during that night's Quidditch practice. And not until they were halfway across the sunlit common room did they notice the addition to the room that had already attracted the attention of a small group of people. A large sign had been affixed to the Gryffindor notice board. So large it covered everything else on it. The list of secondhand spellbooks for sale, the regular reminders of school rules from Argus Filch, the Quidditch team training timetable, the offers to barter certain chocolate frog cards for others, the Weasleys' latest advertisement for testers, the dates of the Hogsmeade weekends, and the lost and found notices. The new sign was printed in large black letters, and there was a highly official-looking seal at the bottom beside a neat and curly signature. By order of the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts, all student organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs are henceforth disbanded. An organization, society, team, group, or club is hereby defined as a regular meeting of three or more students. Permission to reform may be sought from the High Inquisitor, Professor Umbridge. 
No student organization, society, team, group, or club may exist without the knowledge and approval of the High Inquisitor. Any student found to have formed or belonged to an organization, society, team, club, or group that has not been approved by the High Inquisitor will be expelled. The above is in accordance with Educational Decree Number 24, signed Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor. Harry and Ron read the notice over the heads of some anxious-looking second years. Does this mean that they're going to shut down the Gobstones Club? One of them asked his friends. I reckon you'll be okay with the Gobstones, Ron said darkly, making the second year jump. I don't think we're going to be as lucky, though, do you? He asked Harry, as the second years hurried away. Harry was reading the notice through again. The happiness that had filled him since Saturday was gone. His insides were pulsing with rage. This isn't a coincidence, he said, his hands forming fists. She knows. She can't, said Ron at once. There were people listening in that pub, and let's face it, we don't know how many of the people who turned up we can trust. Any of them could have run off and told Umbridge. And he thought they believed him too, but... And he had thought they believed him, though thought that they might even admire him. Zachariah Smith, said Ron at once, punching a fist into his hand, or... I thought that Michael Corner had a really shifty look, too. I wonder if Hermione's seen this yet, Harry said, looking around to the door of the girls' dormitories. Let's go and tell her, said Ron. He bounded forward, pulling open the door and set off up the spiral staircase. He was on the sixth stair when there was a loud, wailing, klaxon-like sound, and the steps melted together to make a long, smooth stone slide. It was a brief moment where Ron tried to keep running, arms working madly like windmills. Then he toppled over backward and shot down the newly created slide, coming to a rest back at Harry's feet. Um, I don't think we're allowed in the girls' dormitories, said Harry, pulling Ron to his feet and trying not to laugh. Two fourth-year girls came zooming gleefully down the stone slide. Oh, who tried to get upstairs? They giggled happily leaping to their feet and ogling Harry and Ron. Me, said Ron, who still looked rather disheveled. Didn't realize that would happen. That's not fair, he added to Harry, as the girls headed off for the portrait hall, still giggling madly. Hermione's allowed in our dormitory. How come we're not allowed? Well, it's an old-fashioned rule, said Hermione, who had slid neatly down to the rug in front of them and was now getting to her feet. But it says in Hogwarts history that the founders thought that boys were less trustworthy than girls. Anyway, why are you trying to get in there? To see you. Look at this. And Ron dragged her over to the notice board. Hermione's eyes slid rapidly down the notice. Her expression became stony. Someone must have blabbed to her, Ron said angrily. They can't have done, said Hermione in a low voice. You're so naive, said Ron. Just because you think you're all honourable and trustworthy. Sorry, let me say that again, because I think it's important to uh, what comes up later on. You're so naive, said Ron. You think that just because you're all honourable and trustworthy. No, they can't have done, because I put a jinx on that piece of parchment that we all signed. 
said Hermione grimly. Believe me, if anyone's run off and told Umbridge, we'll know exactly who they are and they will really regret it. What'll happen to them? said Ron eagerly. Well, put it this way, said Hermione. It'll make Eloise Midgen's acne look like a couple of cute freckles. Come on, let's go down to breakfast and see what the others think. I wonder whether this has been put up in all the houses. It was immediately apparent on entering the Great Hall that Umbridge's sign had not only appeared in Gryffindor Tower. There was a peculiar intensity about the chatter, and an extra measure of movement in the hall as people scurried up and down their tables, conferring on what they had read. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had barely taken their seats when Neville, Dean, Fred, George, and Ginny descended upon them. Did you see it? Do you reckon she knows? What are we going to do? They were all looking at Harry. He glanced around to make sure that there were no teachers near them. We're going to do it anyway, of course, he said quietly. I knew you'd say that, said George, beaming and thumping Harry on the arm. The prefect as well, said Fred, looking quizzically at Ron and Hermione. Of course, said Hermione coolly. Here come Ernie and Hannah Abbott, said Ron, looking over her shoulder. And those Ravenclaw blokes... And Smith, no one looks very spotty. Hermione looked alarmed. Never mind spots, the idiots can't come over here now. It'll look really suspicious. Sit down, she mouthed to Ernie and Hannah, gesturing frantically for them to rejoin the Hufflepuff table. Later, we'll, we'll talk to you later. Uh, I'll tell Michael, said Ginny impatiently, swinging herself off the bench. That fool, honestly. She hurried off toward the Ravenclaw table. Harry watched her go. Cho was sitting not far away, talking to the curly-haired friend that she had brought along to the Hogshead. Would Umbridge's notice scare her off meeting them again? But the full repercussions of the sign were not felt until they were leaving the Great Hall for the History of Magic lesson. Array, run! It was Angelina, and she was hurrying toward them, looking perfectly desperate. It's okay, said Harry quietly, when she was near enough to hear him. We're still going to... You realise she's included Quidditch in this? Angelina said over him. We have to go and ask permission to reform the Quidditch team. What? said Harry. No way, said Ron, appalled. You read the sign, it mentions teams too. So, listen, Harry, I'm saying this for the last time. Please don't lose your temper with Umbridge again or she might not let us play anymore. Okay, okay, said Harry, for Angelina looked as though she were on the verge of tears. Don't worry, I'll behave myself. Uh, but Umbridge is in History of Magic, said Ron grimly, as they set off for Binz's lesson. She hasn't inspected Binz yet. Bet you anything she's there. YouTube chat. Flawed one. Don't make it to the live stream that often, but I'm a huge fan. Keep chasing that dream. Thank you so much. I appreciate it quite a bit. Um, yeah, the dream is uh, just have people come in to hang out. So honestly, the dream is happening now. <laughs> the dream is happening right now. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I'm seeing in Discord chat, someone bruised ribs by coughing? Good luck to y'all. It seems like it is it, it is the season, I suppose. But man, it seems like every week somebody else is sick or or uh, 
ill or something. Uh, I hope uh, Michelle's husband is recovering okay, although I don't see Michelle in here tonight. And uh, I don't see Jeff in here either, I don't think. Um, at least I haven't in chat yet. But, Jeff, I hope you're doing well as well. Is Jeff in here? No. Luke is in here, though. Luke is in there sneaking around. Hi, Luke. Good to have you. But Ron was wrong. The only teacher present when they entered was Professor Binns floating an inch or so above his chair as usual and preparing to continue his monotonous drone on giant wars. I believe that is wars between giants, not just really big wars. Harry did not even attempt to follow what he was saying today. He doodled idly on his parchment, ignoring Hermione's frequent glares and nudges until a particularly painful poke in the ribs made him look up angrily. What? She pointed at the window. Harry looked round. Hedwig was perched on the narrow window ledge, gazing through the thick glass at him, a letter tied to her leg. Harry could not understand it. They had just had breakfast. Why on earth hadn't she delivered the letter then, as usual? Many of his classmates were pointing out Hedwig to each other, too. I've always loved that owl. She's so beautiful. Harry heard Lavender sigh to Parvati. He glanced round at Professor Binns, who continued to read his notes, serenely unaware that the class's attention was even less focused upon him than usual. Harry slipped quietly off his chair, crouched down, and hurried along the row to the window, where he slid the catch and opened it very slowly. He had expected Hedwig to hold out her leg so he could remove the letter and then fly off to the owlery, but the moment the window was open wide enough, she hopped inside, hooting dolefully. He closed the window with an anxious glance at Professor Binns, crouched low again, and sped back to his seat with Hedwig on his shoulder. He regained his seat, transferred Hedwig to his lap, and made to remove the letter tied to her leg. Only then did he realize that Hedwig's feathers were oddly ruffled. Some were bent the wrong way, and she was holding one of her wings at an odd angle. "'She's hurt,' Harry whispered, bending his head low over her. Hermione and Ron leaned in closer, and Hermione even put down her quill. Look, there's something wrong with her wing. Hedwig was quivering. When Harry made to touch the wing, she gave a little jump, all of her feathers on end as though she were inflating herself, and she gazed at him reproachfully. Professor Binns, said Harry loudly, and everyone in the class turned to look at him. I'm not feeling well. Professor Binns raised his eyes from his notes, looking amazed, as always, to find the room in front of him full of people. Not feeling well, he repeated hazily. Not well at all, said Harry firmly, getting to his feet with Hedwig concealed behind his back. I think I need to go to the hospital wing. Yes, said Professor Binns, clearly very much wrong-footed. Yes, yes. Hospital wing. Well, off you go then, Perkins. Once outside the room, Harry returned Hedwig to his shoulder and hurried up off the corridor, pausing only to think when he was outside of Binz's door. Pausing to think only when he was out of sight of Binz's door. His first choice of somebody to cure Hedwig would have been Hagrid, of course, but he had no idea where Hagrid was. His only remaining option was to find Professor Grubbly Plank and hope that she would help. 
He peered out of a window at the blustery, overcast grounds. There was no sight of her anywhere near Hagrid's cabin. If she was not teaching, she was probably in the staff room. He set off downstairs, Hedwig hooting feebly as she swayed on his shoulder. Two stone gargoyles flanked the staff room door. As Harry approached, one of them croaked, "'Hey, you should be in class there, Sonny Jim!' "'This is urgent,' said Harry curtly. "'Oh, it's urgent, is it?' said the other gargoyle in a high-pitched voice. "'Well, that's put us in our place, hasn't it?' Harry knocked. He heard footsteps, then the door opened and he found himself face-to-face -face with Professor McGonagall. "'You haven't been given another detention,' she said at once, her square spectacles flashing alarmingly. "'No, Professor,' said Harry hastily. "'Well, then, why are you out of class?' Oh, "'It's pretty urgent, apparently,' said the second gargoyle snidely. "'I'm looking for Professor Grubbly Plank,' Harry explained. "'It's my owl she's injured.' "'An injured owl, you say?' Professor Grubbly Plank appeared at Professor McGonagall's shoulder, smoking a pipe and holding a copy of the Daily Prophet. "'Yes,' said Harry, lifting Hedwig carefully off his shoulder. "'She turned up after the other post-owls, and her wing is all funny. Look!' Professor Grubbly Plank stuck her pipe firmly between her teeth and took Hedwig from Harry while Professor McGonagall watched. "'Hmm.' said Professor Grubbly Plank, her pipe waggling slightly as she talked. It looks like something has attacked her. I can't think what would have done it, though. The Cestrals will sometimes go for birds, of course, but Hagrid has got the Hogwarts Cestrals well trained not to touch the owls. Harry neither knew nor cared what Thestrals were. He just wanted to know what Hedwig was going to... He just wanted to know that Hedwig was going to be all right. Professor McGonagall, however, looked sharply at Harry and said, "'Do you know how far this owl has travelled, Potter?' "'Um,' said Harry, "'from London, I think.' He met her eyes briefly and knew, by the way her eyebrows had joined in the middle, that she understood London to mean number twelve Grimald Place. Professor Grubbly Plank pulled a monocle out of the inside of her robes and screwed it to her eye to examine Hedwig's wing closely. I should be able to sort this out if you leave her with me, Potter, she said. She shouldn't be flying long distances for a few days, in any case. Um, all right, thanks, said Harry, just as the bell rang for break. No problem, said Professor Grubbly Plank gruffly, turning back into the staff room. Just a moment, Wilhelmina, said Professor McGonagall. Potter's letter. "'Oh, yeah,' said Harry, who had momentarily forgotten the scroll tied to Hedwig's leg. Professor Grubbly Plank handed it over and then disappeared into the staff room carrying Hedwig, who was staring at Harry as though unable to believe he would give her away like this. Feeling slightly guilty, he turned to go. But Professor McGonagall called him back. "'Potter?' "'Yes, Professor?' She glanced up and down the corridor. There were students coming from both directions. "'Bear in mind,' she said quickly and quietly, her eyes on the scroll in his hand, "'that channels of communication in and out of Hogwarts may be being watched, won't you?' "'Aye,' said Harry, but the flood of students rolling along the corridor was almost upon him. 
Professor McGonagall gave him a curt nod and retreated into the staff room, leaving Harry to be swept into the courtyard with the crowd. He spotted... Ooh, very sorry about that. Y'all liking the uh, the gargoyle voice? I don't get a chance to to uh, to uh, pull out the East Coast very often, you know? It's nice to uh, get a chance to do it every once in a while. <laughs> By the way, um, if anyone else likes uh, talking gargoyles with a bit of an attitude, go ahead and check out the Adventure Zone podcast. Uh, it's I love listening to podcasts, and it is a D&D live play podcast that I would definitely suggest all of you look into because you are interested in Harry Potter. It's a, uh, it's it's got a bit of a Harry Potter feel to it, although it is definitely not a a Harry Potter campaign. So enjoy. Harry spotted Ron and Hermione already standing in a sheltered corner, their cloak collars turned up against the wind. Harry slid open the scroll as he hurried toward them and found five words in Sirius's handwriting. Today, same time, same place. Is Hedwig okay? asked Hermione anxiously, the moment he was within earshot. Where did you take her? asked Ron. To Grubbly Plank, said Harry, and I met McGonagall, listen. And he told them what Professor McGonagall had said. To his surprise, neither of the others looked shocked. On the contrary, they exchanged significant looks. What? said Harry, looking from Ron to Hermione and back again. Well, I was just saying to Ron, what if someone had tried to intercept Hedwig? I mean, she's never been hurt on a flight before, has she? Who's the letter from, anyway? asked Ron, taking the note from Harry. Snuffles, said Harry quietly. Same time, same place. Does he mean the fire in the common room? Obviously, said Hermione, also reading the note. She looked uneasy. I just hope that nobody else has read this. But it was still sealed and everything, said Harry, trying to convince himself as much as her. And nobody would understand what it meant if they didn't know that we'd spoken to him before, would they? I don't know, said Hermione anxiously, hitching her backpack over her shoulder and the bell rang again. Wouldn't exactly be difficult to reseal the scroll by magic, and if anyone's watching the flu network, I I don't see how we could really warn him not to come without being intercepted too. They trudged down the stone steps to the dungeon for potions. All three of them lost in thought, but as they reached the bottom of the steps, they were recalled to themselves by the voice of Draco Malfoy, who was standing just outside Snape's classroom door waving around an official-looking piece of parchment and talking much louder than was necessary so that they could hear every word. Yeah, Umbridge gave the Slytherin Quidditch team permission to continue playing straight away. I went to ask her first thing this morning. Well, it was pretty much automatic, I mean. She knows my father really well. He's always popping in and out of the ministry. It'll be interesting to see whether the Gryffindors are allowed to keep playing, won't it? rise hermione whispered imploringly to harry and ron both of whom were watching malfoy faces set and fists clenched it's what he wants i mean said malfoy raising his voice a little more his gray eyes glitteringly malevolent in harry and ron's direction 
If it's a question of influence with the Ministry, I don't think they've got much of a chance. From what my father says, they'll be lucky to get... From what my father says, they've been looking for an excuse to sack Arthur Weasley for years. And as for Potter, my father says it's a matter of time before the Ministry has him carted off to St. Mungo's. Apparently they've got a special ward for people whose brains have been addled by magic. Malfoy made a grotesque face, his mouth sagging open and his eyes rolling. Crabbe and Goyle gave their usual grunts of laughter. Pansy Parkinson shrieked with glee. Something collided hard with Harry's shoulder, knocking him sideways. A split second later, he realized that Neville had just charged past him, heading straight for Malfoy. Neville, no! Harry leapt forward and seized the back of Neville's robes. Neville struggled frantically, his fists flailing, trying desperately to get Malfoy, who looked, for a moment, extremely shocked. Help me! Harry flung at Ron, managing to get an arm around Neville's neck and dragging him backward, away from the Slytherins. Crabbe and Goyle were flexing their arms as they stepped in front of Malfoy, ready for the fight. Ron seized Neville's arms, and together, he and Harry succeeded in dragging Neville back to the Gryffindor line. Neville's face was scarlet. The pressure Harry was exerting on his throat rendered him quite incomprehensible, but odd words kept spluttering from his mouth. Not for the... Don't... Mungo's... Show him... The dungeon door opened. Snape appeared there. His black eyes swept the Gryffindor line to the point where Harry and Ron were wrestling with Neville. Fighting Potter Weasley Longbottom... Snape said in his cold, sneering voice, Ten points from Gryffindor. Release. Ooh, boy. Sorry. Still working on the mic discipline. The, uh... <laughs> that voice is particularly difficult. Ten points from Gryffindor. Release Longbottom Potter or it will be detention. Inside all of you. Harry let go of Neville, who stood panting and glaring at him. <sighs> I had to stop you, Harry gasped, picking up his bag. Crab and Goyle would have torn you apart. Neville said nothing. He merely snatched up his own bag and stalked off into the dungeon. What in the name of Merlin, said Ron slowly, as they followed Neville, was that about? Harry did not answer. He knew exactly why the subject of people who were in St. Mungo's because of magical damage to their brains was highly distressing to Neville. But he had sworn to Dumbledore that he would not tell anyone Neville's secret. Even Neville did not know that Harry knew. Harry, Ron, and Hermione took their usual seat at the back of the class, pulling out parchment, quills, and their copies of 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi. The class around them was whispering about what Neville had just done. But when Snape closed the dungeon door with an echoing bang, everybody fell immediately silent. "'You will notice,' said Snape in his low, sneering voice, "'that we have a guest with us today.' He gestured toward the dim corner of the dungeon, and Harry saw Professor Umbridge sitting there, card cardboard, clipboard on her knee. He glanced sideways at Ron and Hermione, his eyebrows raised. "'Snape?' and Umbridge, the two teachers he hated most. It was hard to decide which one he wanted to triumph over the other. 
Uh, continuing with our strengthening solution today, you will find your mixtures as you left them last lesson. If correctly made, they should have matured well over the weekend. Instructions? He waved his wand again. On the board. Carry on. Professor Umbridge spent the first half hour of the lesson making notes in her corner. Harry was very interested in hearing her question Snape, so interested that he was becoming careless with his potion again. Salamander blood, Harry, Hermione moaned, grabbing his wrist to prevent him adding the wrong ingredient for the third time. Not pomegranate juice. Right, said Harry vaguely, putting down the bottle and continuing to watch the corner. Umbridge had just got to her feet. Ha, he said softly, as she strode between two lines of desks toward Snape who was bending over Dean Thomas's cauldron. "'Well, the class seems fairly advanced for their level,' she said briskly to Snape's back, "'though I would question whether it is advisable to be teaching them a potion like the strengthening solution. I think it would be preferable to the Ministry if that was removed from the syllabus.' Snape straightened up slowly and turned to look at her. "'Now,' "'How long have you been teaching at Hogwarts?' she asked, her quill poised over her clipboard. Fourteen years,' Snape replied. His expression was unfathomable. Harry, watching him closely, added a few drops to his potion. It hissed menacingly and turned from turquoise to orange. "'You applied first for the Defense Against the Dark Arts post, I believe?' Professor Umbridge asked Snape. Yes, said Snape quietly, but you were unsuccessful. Snape's lip curled. Obviously. Professor Umbridge scribbled on her clipboard. And you have applied regularly for the Defense Against the Dark Arts post since you first joined the school, I believe. Yes, said Snape quietly, barely moving his lips. He looked very angry. And do you have any idea why Dumbledore has consistently refused to appoint you? asked Umbridge. I suggest you ask him, said Snape jerkily. Oh, I shall, said Professor Umbridge with a sweet smile. I suppose this is relevant, Snape asked, his black eyes narrowed. Oh, yes, said Professor Umbridge. Yes, the Ministry wants a thorough understanding of the teacher's backgrounds. She turned away, walked over to Pansy Parkinson, and began questioning her about the lessons. Snape looked round at Harry, and their eyes met for a second. Harry hastily dropped his gaze to his potion, which was now congealing foully and giving off a strong smell of burned rubber. No marks again, then, Potter said Snape maliciously, emptying Harry's cauldron with a wave of his wand. You will write me an essay on the correct composition of this potion, indicating how and why you went wrong, to be handed in next lesson, do you understand? Yes, said Harry furiously. Snape had already given them homework, and he had Quidditch practice this evening. This would mean another couple of sleepless nights. It did not seem possible that he had awoken that morning feeling very happy. All that he felt now was a fervent desire for this day to end. Maybe I'll skive off divination, 
he said glumly as they took to the courtyard after lunch, the wind whipping the hems of their robes and the brims of their hats. I'll pretend to be ill and do Snape's essay instead. Then I won't have to stay up half the night. You can't skive off divination, said Hermione severely. Oh, look who's talking. You walked out on divination, you hate Trelawney, said Ron indignantly. I don't hate her, said Hermione loftily. I just think she's an absolutely appalling teacher and a real old fraud. But Harry's already missed History of Magic and I don't think you ought to miss anything else today. There was, there was too much truth in this to ignore, so half an hour later, Harry took his seat in the hot, over-perfumed atmosphere of the divination classroom, feeling angry at everybody. Professor Trelawney was yet again handing out copies of the Dream Oracle. Harry thought he'd surely be much better employed doing Snape's punishment essay than sitting here trying to find meaning in a lot of made-up dreams. It seemed, however, that he was not the only person in divination who was in a temper. Professor Trelawney slammed down a copy of the Oracle on the table between Harry and Ron and swept away. Her lips pursed. She threw in the next copy of the Oracle at Seamus and Dean, narrowly avoiding Seamus's head, and thrust the final one into Neville's chest with such force he slipped off his poof. "'Well, carry on!' said Professor Trelawney loudly, her voice high-pitched and somewhat hysterical. "'You know what to do! Or am I such a substandard teacher that you've never learned how to open a book?' The class stared perplexedly at her, then at each other. Harry, however, thought he knew what was the matter. As Professor Trelawney flounced back to the high-backed teacher's chair, her magnified eyes full of angry tears, he leaned back closer to Ron and muttered, I think she's got the results of her inspection back. Professor? said Parvati Patil in a hushed voice. She and Lavender had always rather admired Professor Trelawney. Professor, is, is there anything, uh, wrong? Wrong! cried Professor Trelawney in a voice throbbing with emotion. Certainly not! I've been insulted, certainly. Insu in insinuations have been made against me, unfounded accusations leveled, but, but no, there's nothing wrong. Certainly not! She took a great shuddering breath and looked away from Parvati, angry tears spilling from under her glasses. I say nothing, she choked, of sixteen years of devoted service. It has passed apparently unnoticed. But I shall not be insulted. No, I shall not. But, Professor, who is insulting you? asked Parvati timidly. The establishment, said Professor Trelawney in a deep, dramatic, wavering voice. Yes. Those with eyes too clouded by the mundane to see as I see. To know as I know. Of course, we seers have always been feared, always persecuted. It is, alas, our fate. She gulped, dabbed at her wet cheeks with the end of her shawl. Then she pulled a small embroidered handkerchief from her sleeve and blew her nose very hard with a sound like peeves blowing a raspberry. Ron sniggered. Lavender shot him a disgusted look, 
Professor? said Pravati. Do you mean, is it something that Professor Umbridge... Do not speak to me about that woman, cried Professor Trelawney, leaping to her feet, her beads rattling and her spectacles flashing. Kindly continue with your work. And she spent the rest of the lesson striding among them, tears still leaking from behind her glasses, muttering what sounded like threats under her breath. May well choose to leave. Oh, the indignity of it. On probation. We shall see how she dares. You and Umbridge have got something in common, Harry told Hermione quietly when they met again in defense against the dark arts. She obviously reckons that Trelawney's an old fraud too. Looks like she's put her on probation. Umbridge entered the room as he spoke, wearing her black velvet bow and an expression of extreme smugness. Good afternoon, class. Good afternoon, Professor Umbridge, they chanted dully. Want away, please. But there was no answering flurry of movement this time. Nobody had bothered to take out their wands. Please turn to page 34 of Defensive Magical Theory and read the third chapter, entitled Case for Non-Offensive Responses to Magical Attack. There will be no need to talk, Harry, Ron, and Hermione said together under their breaths. No Quidditch practice, said Angelina in hollow tones when Harry, Ron, and Hermione entered the common room after dinner that night. But I kept my temper, said Harry, horrified. I didn't say anything to her, Angelina, I swear, I... I know, I know, said Angelina miserably. She just said that she'd need a bit of time to consider... Consider what? said Ron angrily. She's given the Slytherins permission. Why not us? But Harry could imagine how much Umbridge was enjoying holding the threat of no Gryffindor Quidditch team over their heads, and could easily understand why she would not want to relinquish that weapon over them too soon. Well, said Hermione, look on the bright side. At least now you have time to do Snape's essay. That's the bright side, is it? snapped Harry while Ron stood and stared incredulously at Hermione. No Quidditch practice and extra potions. Harry slumped down into a chair, dragged his potions essay reluctantly from his bag and set to work. It was very hard to concentrate. Even though he knew Sirius was not due in the fire until much later, he could not help glancing into the flames every few minutes just in case. There was also an incredible amount of noise in the room, Fred and George appeared to have fully perfected one of the types of skiving snack boxes, which they were taking turns to demonstrate to a cheering and whooping crowd. First, Fred would take a bite out of the orange end of a chew, which he would vomit spectacularly into a bucket that they had placed in front of them. Then he would force down the purple end of the chew, at which the vomiting would immediately cease. Lee Jordan, who was assisting the demonstration, was lazily vanishing the vomit at regular intervals with the same vanishing spell Snape used on Harry's potions. With the regular sounds of retching, cheering, and the sound of Fred and George taking advance orders from the crowd, Harry was finding it extremely difficult to ex Harry was finding it exceptionally difficult to focus on the correct method for strengthening solution. Hermione was not helping matters. 
The cheers and the sound of vomit hitting the bucket was Ron and George's... Ron? Ron and George? Come on, man. Get it together. The cheers and the sound of vomit hitting the bottom of Fred and George's bucket were punctuated by her loud and disapproving sniffs, which Harry found, if anything, more distracting. Just go and stop them, then, he said irritably, after crossing out the wrong weight of powdered griffin claw for the fourth time. I can't. They're not technically doing anything wrong, said Hermione through gritted teeth. They're quite within their rights to eat the foul things themselves, and I can't find a rule that says that the other idiots aren't entitled to buy them. Not unless they're proven to be dangerous in some way, and it doesn't look as though they are. She, Harry, and Ron watched George projectile vomit into the bucket, gulp down the rest of the chew, and straighten up, beaming with his arms wide to protracted applause. I do, by the way, apologize for how absolutely disgusting this section is. You know, I don't get why Fred and George only got three OWLs each, said Harry, watching as Fred, George, and Lee collected gold from the eager crowd. They really know their stuff. Oh, they only know the flashy stuff that's of no real use to anyone, said Hermione disparagingly. No real use, said Ron in a strained voice. Hermione, they've made about twenty-six galleons already. It was a long while before the crowd around the Weasley twins dispersed. Then Fred, Lee, and George sat up, counting their takings even longer. So it was well past midnight when Harry, Ron, and Hermione finally had the common room to themselves. At long last, Fred had closed the doorway to the boys' dormitories behind him, rattling his box of galleons ostentatiously so that Hermione scowled. Harry, who was making very little progress on his potions essay, decided to give it up for the night. As he put his books away, Ron, who was dozing lightly in an armchair, gave a muffled grunt, awoke, and looked blearily into the fire. Sirius, he said. Harry whipped around. Sirius's untidy dark head was sitting in the fire again. Ryder Doom says you should read Ranger's Apprentice. I loved those books as a kid. Like, those are probably top three for me. Also, there's sirens outside. Apologies. Okay. Not just sirens, but also honking. Redwall's great, too. Redwall's great, but they're a little disjointed. It's a little hard. They're, they're harder to sort of follow along front to back. <laughs> Team Hagrid says it's slightly harder to hate Umbridge with the lovable Incredibles character voice. I, I, uh, <laughs> that's not my intent. I don't mean to soften the, uh, the, the nature of Umbridge with that voice. You know, just giving the people what they want. Hi, Sirius said, grinning. Hi, chorused Harry, Ron, and Hermione, all three kneeling down on the hearth rug. Crookshanks purred loudly and approached the fire, trying, despite the heat, to put his face close to Sirius's. How are things? said Sirius. Not that good, said Harry, as Hermione pulled Crookshanks back to stop him singeing his whiskers. The Ministry is forced through another decree, which means that we're not allowed to have Quidditch teams. Or secret defense against the Dark Arts groups, said Sirius. There was a short pause. How did you know about that? Harry demanded. You want to choose your meeting places more carefully, 
said Sirius, grinning still more broadly. The hog's head, I ask you. Well, it was better than the three broomsticks, said Hermione defensively. That's always packed with people. Which means you'd have been harder to overhear, said Sirius. Got a lot to learn, Hermione. Who overheard us? Harry demanded. Mundungus, of course, said Sirius, and when they all looked puzzled, he laughed. <laughs> he was the witch under the veil. That was Mundungus, Harry said, stunned. What was he doing in the hogshead? What do you think he was doing, said Sirius impatiently. Keeping an eye on you, of course. I'm still being followed, asked Harry angrily. Yes, you are, said Sirius. Just as well, isn't it? The first thing you're going to do on your weekends is organize an illegal defense group. But he looked neither angry nor worried. On the contrary, he was looking at Harry with distinct pride. Why was Dung hiding from us? asked Ron, looking disappointed. We would have liked to have seen him. Sheesh. That's a heck of a sentence. W-E apostrophe D apostrophe V-E liked to apostrophe V-E seen him. It's a lot of contractions, my man. He was banned from the hogshead 20 years ago, said Sirius, and that barman's got a long memory. We lost Moody's spare invisibility cloak when Sturgis was arrested, so Dung's been dressing as a witch a lot lately. Anyway, first of all, Ron... I've sworn to pass on a message from your mother. Oh, yeah, said Ron, sounding apprehensive. She says, on no account whatsoever are you to take part in a in illegal secret defense against the Dark Arts group. She says you'll be expelled for sure and your future will be ruined. She says there'll be plenty of time to learn how to defend yourself later, that you're too young to be worrying about that kind of thing right now. She also... Sirius's eyes turned to the other two advises Harry and Hermione not to proceed with the group, though she accepts that she has no authority over either of them, and simply begs them to remember that she has their best interests at heart. She would have written all this down for you, but if the owl had been intercepted, you'd all have been in real trouble. She can't say for herself, because she's on duty tonight. On duty doing what? said Ron quickly. Never mind. Just stuff for the order, said Sirius. So it's fallen to me to be the messenger and make sure that I tell you all the stuff that she wanted me to pass on, because I don't think she trusts me to. Oh. Make sure you tell her that I passed all this on, because I don't think she trusts me to. There was another pause in which Crookshanks, mewing, attempted to paw Sirius's head, and Ron fiddled with a hole in the hearthrug. So... You want me to say that I'm not going to take p part in the defense group, he muttered finally. Me? Certainly not, said Sirius, looking surprised. I think it's an excellent idea. You do? said Harry, his heart lifting. Of course I do, said Sirius. You think your father and I would have laid down and taken orders from an old hag like Umbridge? But last term all you did was to tell me to be careful and not take risks. Last year, all the evidence was that someone inside Hogwarts was trying to kill you, Harry, said Sirius impatiently. 
This year, we know there's someone outside Hogwarts who'd like to kill us all. So I think learning to defend yourselves properly is a very good idea. And what if we get expelled? Hermione asked, a quizzical look on her face. Hermione, this whole thing was your idea, asked Harry. Oh, said Harry, staring at her. I know, I just I wondered what Sirius thought, Hermione said, shrugging. Well, better to be expelled and be able to defend yourselves than sitting safely in school without a clue. Here, here, said Ron and Harry her, uh, enthusiastically. So, said Sirius, how are you organizing this group? Where are you meeting? Well, that's a bit of a problem now, said Harry. I don't know when we're going to be able to. How about the Shrieking Shack? suggested Sirius. Hey, that's an idea, said Ron excitedly, but Hermione made a skeptical noise and all three of them looked at her, Sirius's head turning in the flames. Well, Sirius, it's just that there were only four of you when you were meeting in the Shrieking Shack when you were at school said Hermione, and all of you could transform into animals, and I suppose you could have all squeezed under a single invisibility cloak if you wanted to. But there are twenty-eight of us, and none of us is an animagus, so we wouldn't so much need an invisibility cloak as an invisibility marquee. Uh, fair point, said Sirius, looking slightly crestfallen. Well, I'm sure you'll be able to come up somewhere. Used to be a pretty roomy secret passageway behind that big mirror on the fourth floor. You might have enough space to practice jinxes in there. Fred and, Fred and George have told me that it's blocked, said Harry, shaking his head. Caved in or something. Oh, said Sirius, frowning. Well, I'll have a think and I'll get back to... He broke off. His face was suddenly tense, alarmed. He turned sideways, apparently looking into the solid brick wall of the fireplace. "'Serious?' said Harry anxiously. But he had vanished. Harry gaped at the flames for a moment, then turned to Ron and Hermione. "'Why did he—' Hermione gave a horrified gasp and leapt to her feet, still staring at the fire. A hand had appeared amongst the flames, groping as though to catch hold of something. A stubby, short-fingered hand, covered in ugly, old-fashioned rings. The three of them ran for it. At the door of the boys' dormitory, Harry looked back. Umbridge's hand was still making snatching movements among the flames, as though she knew exactly where Sirius's hair had been moments before, and was determined to seize it. Back to the library we go. Sarah Farron, hello. Welcome. Softer Linda. Interesting. That's an interesting name. Patty, how's it going? Sarah says, I love Molly. I get where she's coming from. She just wants her kids, Harry and Hermione, to be kids. She just wants to protect them. And, uh... Oh, also, uh, she says, Given the need to know how to defend themselves... Oh, given. They need to know how to defend themselves, but I see where she's coming from. And Sarah, I agree with you completely. We've talked about this before, so I won't go into it at length, but um, 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Luke in, in Discord chat is saying, I cannot with Molly in this book. Um, I I don't, I'm, I'm not going to like, well, no, I am going to explicitly disagree with Molly. Um, I think, I, I think I'm with, uh, I'm with maybe not fully serious on this side because I do think he comes down uh, pretty chaotic. Um, not just, he's not just, you know, one to support defense, but like, he's chaotic and he likes the he likes the chaos of it he likes breaking rules for the sake of it not just um to support his ideals uh but i definitely like that molly's perspective was included in this book and and so i like sort of what jk rowling did with molly um i think it's important that we get this perspective which is of somebody who has people that she is trying to protect and in her mind that will be that's accomplished in a very different way from from uh her husband even or you know like the thinking of Sirius black uh i think one of the one of the the errors that we see too often in in uh movements in in especially in sort of young adult books we don't see the internal struggles uh, of those movements everyone kind of unites uh behind this uh you know behind a central figure and everyone is everyone's all in favor of the same things you know they all vote the same way um for for different you know missions or activities or what have you uh different actions uh to support the cause but i think this is important um it's not often that everyone agrees in the same way, uh, in the same things. And then even when they do, there's a lot of disagreement in the way that, um, that they want, they, that they think this should be accomplished. And for, uh, for Molly Weasley, uh, it's very important that the adults work as hard as they can. They, they spare no effort to make sure that Voldemort never reaches her children. I think I think Molly Weasley is fully willing to go to to lay down her own life for all of this. But she's very intentional. Her ideal is that this will never touch her children. She's fierce in that respect. We see this. We see this plenty. Um, but part of that for her means that they shouldn't be involved in in some of these more dangerous, um, uh, more dangerous activities. I think it's important that we see that perspective. Um, in this particular instance, I do think that I'm not going to say Sirius is right, but I do think that, um, I'll say that Hermione is right, that this is an important pursuit. It's important to consider the, the repercussions, but it is an important pursuit. And I, so, so, so Hermione's initial idea here to have Harry do this, I'm with her. There are risks. They could be expelled. Um, you know, as, as, as people, as the audience who has seen Voldemort and his activities, we know it could be worse than expulsion, but we know that at least expulsion is on the table. Um, and I think it's worth it. There are times when doing the right thing requires us to go beyond what the law dictates. And uh, once again, we are seeing this a lot in Hong Kong right now. Uh, I would encourage everyone um, to uh, go check out the links up toward the top of chat as uh, I am, actually, I'm going to post them again, because I'm about to go on break. But uh, before I do, I'm going to talk to Discord chat real quick. Uh, Luke says, Sirius is pretty emotionally needy and doesn't pursue what he needs from adults, which is pretty off. But Molly, uh, okay, I'm going to intone that properly, because I think it's significant to your, question, to your, your statement. Um, Sirius is pretty emotionally needy and doesn't pursue what he needs from adults, which is pretty off. But Molly is doing the same in reverse, putting her fears on kids, right? Um, interesting observation. I don't know. 
I think, I think, I, I realize I, I did a lot of talking about it um, after you had already mentioned this. Uh, I do think that she is, I think she's got, I think she's got ideals. I think, I think her ideal is not just that Voldemort won't rise again, but that Voldemort's power will never touch her children. Uh, and I think by extension, she considers Hermione and Ron to be in that group. Uh, and so I think that that is, I think it is perhaps um, an overreach or, or maybe a, I don't know, I guess any, I was going to say a tough to follow through ideal, but I think any ideal can be very tough to follow through. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think her ideal is that this struggle will not touch her children. She will keep her children insulated from this at whatever cost. And, uh, they seem to be refusing her, her kind of protections. I think she believes that, that Hogwarts and the order can stay, can sort of shelter them, can be the umbrella over their heads that, that, uh, separates them from, from this conflict. Uh, I think she believes that they can do it. And of course, Sam has read through this series already. And uh, I think a lot of us are familiar with it. So we know like this might be bigger, but in the moment, you know, she, I think really believes that the order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore's activities and Hogwarts as a school, as a, as an institution and as a safe place, they are enough to protect her children entirely from this conflict. So they don't need to deal with it whatsoever. And so I think she believes that uh, their intentionally getting involved with it puts them at unnecessary risk. Team Haggard says, what the kids really want is often detrimental to their well-being. And uh, uh, Luke says, I guess they both seem like they're ignoring what the kids really want. Uh, General says, I totally get where Molly's coming from, but man, if I could personally go after Trump, I would in a heartbeat. Uh, in England, you walk like two hours to the other side of the country. There's literally no place for Moldy Voldy to hide. I do think, I do think there is a lot of, I, I think in any situation of stress, I, okay, let me, let me sort of trace back to the heart of this. I do think that of the two of them between Molly and Sirius, I think Sirius is being selfish. And I don't think that Molly is. I think Molly believes in her ideals, not, not to the detriment of her children. And again, I mean that as an umbrella term that she applies to, to, you know, Harry, Ron, Hermione, all of them. I don't think she's selfish. I think she, she has ideals that she thinks will protect them. And, uh, I think she's following through, she's executing them without selfishness. I think, I think Sirius also has ideals and I think he also wants the best for them, but I think the way that he executes sometimes is it's sometimes to the detriment of the kid's well-being. But of course, some of this is only clear in retrospect, right? Only knowing how these books turn out, do we really know kind of who was right? If the kids are putting themselves at all of this risk and, you know, they get caught and even, you know, persecuted, killed, what have you, because they got themselves involved. And then we find out that, you know, the, the, the order of the Phoenix had a plan in place the whole time, um, or that Voldemort was eventually going to make some grand mistake and was going to be defeated by pretty normal means, then Molly Weasley would have been right through and through. It's only by retrospect. Can we tell, um, 
the, the only thing I would say is clear cut here is that when you're dealing with something as insidious as Voldemort, um, where there's a clear and present threat, uh, where, where, where ideals are already being compromised, where, 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 what's the proper term to use? I don't want to use morals necessarily, but where goodness and justice have already been compromised and they're continuing to be compromised. Um, I do think it is, it is up to everyone.